Hi, welcome to another episode of Brews, Booze, and Reviews, a childish podcast on adult beverage. And with me today is Big Earn. I'm here, and ready ne- to get get it on today. It's going to be a fun day. <laughs> Next to him, uh, Chris, back again. I'm chock full of booze today, or something. <laughs> chock full of something. Just chock- and, maybe, and maybe some reviews. Chock full of things. And uh, I am Knox, and we have two special guests today. We got a returning guest, Tori Chelsis, cousin Tori. What's going uh, on, Tori? Not a whole lot. Just always down to sample some booze. All right. Especially when you don't have to pay for it. The oh, that's the best. No. <laughs> and with me uh, as well as a friend of mine, a musician friend of mine from my old musician days, uh, Mick Klein. Hey, hello, Mick. Hey, man. How you guys doing? I'm doing awesome. great. Yeah, you guys are giving me flashbacks of the late '90s when I worked in radio. <laughs> Good. That means we're doing it right. <laughs> flashbacks are always fun. Yeah. Yes, they are. Except for when they suck. <laughs> mm, there we go. <laughs> and today's special episode is going to be a three-part series. Uh, this one right here is, is part one, and this is a three-part series on barrel aging and barrel aged beers. And we're gonna we're gonna hop right into it. Um, uh, I interviewed Aaron from Junkyard and Tom Knowlton, uh, one of the brewers over at Drecker. And I know we've had Aaron on before, uh, but uh, you guys haven't heard of who Tom is, so I'm going to let him introduce himself. Here, here he is. All right, I'm sitting here with Tom from Drecker. Uh, Tom, let us know a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, so my name's Tom Knowlton. I'm one of the uh, brewers, I guess. Um, we just kind of have like a brewing team more than like assistants and seller people and stuff. We kind of, all of us do it all. So um, I've been here for, it's coming up on six years and I've been brewing for five. So kind of uh, been the come in the whole come up from downtown brewery, small brewery to now like a full scale production brewery making crazy, all the crazy beers. And yeah, so I've sort of seen it all from the beginning. And that's Tom. And uh, what, the first question I asked both these uh, brewers uh, is, when do you introduce the beer to the barrel in the beer-making process? Uh, and this is what Aaron had to say. All right, this is Knox, and I'm here at Junkyard Brewing with Aaron Yonke, owner and brewer here. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing well. Excellent, excellent. Um, today, today's episode is, of course, about barrel aging, and um, I've prepared some questions for you. I was wondering if you could help me out and answer these. When it comes to barrel aging, um, where in the process is the barrel aging? When does the beer meet the wood um, before carbonation, after carbonation, all, all that stuff? The beer goes into barrels after it's done with primary fermentation. So that's about anywhere from a week and a half, two weeks, all the way to three weeks in, depending on the, the beer and how it's fermenting. So the beer would otherwise be ready to carbonate and package, um, and we've We've uh, we've done that with with some beers. Like we have a batch of Uncrushable coming up, which is one of our Imperial Stouts, and half the batch is planned on going into barrels, and the other half of that batch is planned on getting packaged. Fresh. That sounds interesting. So yeah, the beer is essentially ready to package if you wanted to do that. But at that point, we're putting that beer into barrels, um, doing what they call racking the beer into barrels. So it's definitely not carbonated. You actually want to be careful to try and get all of the carbonation out of the beer, if possible, because out, during fermentation, 
yeast are producing CO2 and it's venting off of the uh, fermenter. Um, but just that act of the yeast producing CO2 during fermentation will lead to a little bit of carbonation in the beer. Even if you haven't capped the tank or tried to retain any carbonation, okay. the beer will have a little, a slight amount of carbonation. It's measurable. And it's, it's kind of weird to think about, but it's actually carbonated without even having really been carbonated yet. Um, wow. So if you, there are various tricks you can use to try and get that carbonation out of the beer before putting it into the barrel. Um, but if you have too much of that, what I'm going to call residual carbonation left over from fermentation, um, when you try and put that beer into a barrel, it's going to nucleate on all of the little uh, wood fibers and stuff in the barrel are going to provide nucleation points for that carbonation to come out, and then you're going to get a really foamy barrel fill. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so you don't want that. You're going to lose beer, um, get a lot of foaming and frustration when you're trying to fill barrels. So you want to get rid of, as a brewer, you want to get rid of as much of that residual carbonation as possible uh, before you start putting that beer into barrels. But that's that's the point where it goes into barrels. Okay. Yeah, barrels are not able to hold a lot of pressure. You can pressurize them to some extent, but they're not really designed to hold pressure or maintain pressure. So when you're aging anything, if it's wine, spirits, beer in a in a barrel, um, that barrel is allowing the whatever's inside of it to breathe to some extent to let pressure out, and hopefully most of that transfer of of gas is going out. Um, you don't want a lot. Of, you don't want a lot of oxygen getting in during any type of barrel aging. Okay. All right, and that was uh, Mr. Aaron himself. What do you guys think about that interview? Uh, I want to prove him wrong on that uncrushable. I want to see if I can crush one. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. I also, the, the other big note I took is uh, the foamy barrel, which sounds like a house of dance. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I also asked the same question to Tom, and here's what Tom had to say. All right, so yeah, when we're looking at um, barrel aging a beer, basically what for our purposes right now, um, we are doing all post-fermentation aging, meaning that um, we're introducing that beer to the barrel after it's done fermenting, after it's done, done a significant amount of conditioning, meaning that it's done, it's done needing the yeast to function and um, it's gone through like a settling process, so we're not going to transfer any of the stuff that you would want to settle out during fermentation. Um, we're transferring it off of that uh, yeast cake and, you know, certain proteins and hops and stuff like that that get stuck at the bottom. Um, as far as the how that interacts with barrel aging, we just don't want any, we don't want any undesirable things that will impart, or we want as little as possible of these undesirable things like yeast and uh, any additional hops that are from the brew sitting in the barrel that can possibly produce off it flavors. So we're just trying to get the cleanest beer possible going into the barrel. Um, currently, we don't uh, do any sort of like barrel fermentation um, yet. We're looking at starting a, like a true sour program, meaning that you would actually ferment the beer in the barrel. But for our purposes now, what our barrel ages are for are imperial stouts. And in that, with that stuff, we're just doing all post-fermentation, more like barrel conditioning and or aging. Pretty so much the same thing. So you're going from right from the, the conical fermenter into, into the barrels? Yeah. Yep. After fermentation. So, you know, we let them, they sit anywhere from two to three weeks up to a month in those tanks just to let them condition out and settle before we add them to the barrel. All right. That was pretty interesting. So I, before this whole thing began, I, didn't, I wasn't sure where 
they would introduce the barrels into the fermentation process. And I, I thought it might have been like they might have put it in right after uh, or during fermentation, let it ferment in there. But I guess the pressure would just blow the shit right out. Yeah, that's weird to me. I thought that's where it fermented. So obviously, I knew it doesn't go in when you carbonate it, though, because that would be weird as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Uh, well, let's dig into this first beer. Um, this first beer is the king size double barrel aged in Willet bourbon barrels. I'll let um, Mr. Aaron tell us about this one. All right, this beer is the double barrel aged king sized uh, 2020 version. Uh, we barrel aged this special batch of our award winning Imperial Peanut Stout in two consecutive sets of freshly dumped Willet bourbon barrels. After aging in the first set of barrels, we transferred the beer to a new set of freshly dumped barrels so that it would pick up even more of that delicious Willet barrel flavor. The end result is a beautifully balanced stout that is full bodied. The aroma begins with notes of peanut butter and baker's chocolate. The palate lends flavors of robust roasted peanuts up front, then transitions into dark fudge brownie. The finish is bold and long-lasting with more peanut, smooth bourbon, and toasty oak. So Aaron, uh, why don't you tell us about how this one was done? So this this is uh, really similar to our standard barrel-aged king size or standard king size, uh, but the recipe is just bigger. It's got more um, more malt to stand up to the double barrel-aging um, because with this beer, we aged it in one set of Willet bourbon barrels. And then, uh, we took the beer out of those barrels after a number of months and put it in another set, a fresh set of Willet bourbon barrels to get another round of barrel flavor. And with, uh, standard King size, we, the consensus in the brewery was that, uh, the beer, the base beer itself would not hold up, <clears throat> would not hold up to that much bourbon character that the bourbon would make the beer seem too that that extreme of a level of bourbon character would make the beer seem too dry too thin um would would kind of mess with the perception of the beer and we'd already had that experience experience to some extent with another uh, prior iteration of king size where we got some really fresh willet barrels and they just made the beer like the bourbon really sh shine through and it was just intense delicious bourbon flavor mm -hmm. but it made the beer seem a little bit more thin than it really was gotcha um, just that intensity of bourbon flavor so the consensus was we needed to do a little bit of tweaking with the recipe so that it would stand up to that much barrel flavor so when you turn up the volume on the barrel flavor, you got to turn up the volume on the peanut and the beer at the same time. And the malt. Otherwise, yep, on the malt at the same time. Otherwise, that barrel flavor would just overwhelm. So we're turning up the volume on everything. It's just making regular barrel-aged king size more intense. So when you turn up the malt and all that, obviously, you're going to use less water, um, cook it longer to get the higher ABV, correct? Yeah, just use using more malt, getting a higher... Um, going higher on the alcohol percentage, leaving more uh, residual sugar behind. So the beers were brewing it to make it finish sweeter. Um, so it's not finishing as dry as normal king size. Um, probably 10 points uh, sweeter for on the gra specific gravity spectrum. And um, yeah, a little more roasted and chocolate, dark malts um, as well. So yeah, a little bit two parts there a little more alcohol and residual sweetness and a little more uh, of the specialty flavor malts that go into that recipe as well 
Excellent. And uh, so how long did you leave it in the first set of Willet barrels? That three, four months? Yeah, I think it was three, four months in both, both? Um, sets. Yep. That must have been an expensive project. To <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the barrels aren't crazy expensive when we buy them. If you buy a barrel, a spirit barrel, uh, it can be anywhere from like 180 to 250 or 300. So it, it there's kind of a range, but I think we most of the barrels we buy are probably in the 200 range, 220 somewhere in there. Excellent. So how do you think uh, this 2020 version went? Is it enough to do a 2021 version? Yeah, I think so. Um, people loved it. We had a heck of a line for it. Um, I was there for the line. So I remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And uh, yeah, it, the reception was great and the beer's been getting awesome ratings. I think that it, I think it deserves them. It's a really cool beer. It's like at the, I was talking to Gerard Fagerberg who writes for a number of publications and some beer centric, some not. Um, and he was talking about how that beer is, his perception is the beer is kind of at a, a crossroads between seriousness and like playfulness in beer making where it, it has some playful elements to it, but it's also by itself just a really serious beer. Like it, it, uh, it, it has, took some serious knowledge and, and uh, experience to get that kind of beer to yeah, be and right. The, and the way it drinks, too, it's just, it tastes like a serious beer. It's really bourbony, but it's got this really nice chocolate thing going on, and all, and the peanut just kind of fits right in it. It's not a, it doesn't drink like it's a gimmick beer. It drinks like this is a serious, uh, this is a serious attempt at something. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. Let's see how serious we can get, and uh, let's get some reviews. All right, what do you guys get in the nose in this one? Well, he kind of nailed it, <laughs> um, and and he should have because he made it. Um, but I got you know a smoother. I generally don't like peanut butter. We all know that yep. peanut butter beers, but this had a smoother peanut buttery nose than most of them do to me. I didn't get that mustiness. I got a creaminess from it, and uh, uh, very much chocolate. I didn't get a lot of bourbony notes on the nose though. I got a very, very slight peanut aroma. Um, nothing that like woofs and smacks you in the face or anything. I could. Well, yeah. I think I think with that cocoa flavor, that cocoa scent that they blend just so well together that you don't notice the peanut butter as much as you normally would in a peanut butter beer. You almost have to think about it to. Yeah. You know, you see. When it's explained to you, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, that's yeah. what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to beat him to, to I was too everything so <laughs> I was hurrying to write notes and then he'd say something I just wrote I'm like ah oh, they're just gonna think I cheated <laughs> an original bastard no it's it's got a nice feel coming across the tongue right away I mean it's a great first sip oh man uh I like this one because the peanut butter to me took a back seat and you got more of those like he said malts immediately I got malts and then the mm -hmm. chocolate uh chocolatiness from from that um it's a little sweeter than I thought it was going to be. Do you guys get any of that oak, uh, oakiness out of the barrels or any of the dryness? Or? No end. dryness. No? Mm -mm. At the back, I did. Like I uh, get that slight dryness at the end. Um, one thing I appreciate about this is, like uh, uh, Aaron said, it's not too boozy. And that's kind of where I... I well, kind it's 12.1. That's 12. <laughs> yeah. For, is that all? This is for pussies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But one thing I don't appreciate about some uh, barrel-aged uh, beers is that it's almost like 
if I wanted to drink bourbon, I would just go have some bourbon because that's kind of, some of them are just have that really bourbon burn. And then it's oh, a little bit of beer in there. Um, this is this is very smooth. I don't get a whole lot of peanut on the taste. I get more of the, the a malty, uh, toasty, chocolated uh, cocoa dryness at the end too. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's really good. I got that exhale burn through the nose that you get from bourbon really? a little bit uh, after you let it sit. But yeah, this is a this is a heavy, thick dude, like heavy D. That's what I D, is for, D is for delicious in this point. Maybe I've had a little too much bourbon in my day, and I'm desensitized to that. Uh, but I, I could definitely see having a couple of bottles of this in my house for my holiday parties and just letting everybody sample it just as mm-hmm. we are right now because this is not just for a beer drinker, in, in my opinion. No. No, this is a, this is really good. Uh, I didn't think that it – again, I typically – not going to rate peanut butter beers high, but this one, this one's going to get a good number. Don't be a hater. Yeah, I'm not a hater. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm open. I'm open for business. So this one was... Screw peanut butter. This one was, I'm, I've had a couple uh, recently that I've not one, hated. One recently. Um, this was bottled on July 20th of 2020, and I really like this label. It's like it's got a nice leather finish on this... Um, on this label, and it's black and gold, and I really like the, the labeling on it. It's like a it's actually, smell is beautiful. It's actually squirrel hide. Squirrel hide. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a fact. I double-checked. All right. Well, uh, if you guys got anything else, let's throw some numbers on this one. I'll start. Out of five. Out of six on out this one. Out of six on this bad boys. Out of six. So six so, would be like, this is the best. They couldn't do no more, no better. I would drink a shit ton of these all day long. Uh, I'm going to go 5.25. So when I think of some of the bourbons, I want to get a little bit more of that bourbon-y. Sometimes you get a little bit of that vanilla in the back. You know? So I, w- I would have liked a little more of that off of this one. But other than that, this is fucking exceptional. Yeah, 5.25. And Tori, what do you got? I'll give it a 5. I thought I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really thick and slick at the same time. Thick and slick. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> this is the this is my... worst porn duo ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You want him to be thick, and you got to get it slick. So I don't know. That's that might be a good one. Slicks like just his his guy that, that helps him out. I knew that comment was going to go this way. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you know okay. what? Uh, with with numbers that high for you guys. Uh, I'm probably going to order you a taxi if you're going to drink them all day long. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but the drinkability is very high. I'd, I'd give it a five as well. All right. And I will give it a five as well. Okay. So the average for uh, Junkyard King Size <laughs> is 5.0625. That's a hell of a start to the day. Yeah, I think this is going to be a high number day, I'm thinking. You know, if you upgraded that tabulator you'd have a lot more room in this studio (laughs) (laughs) i just like how the ticker tape keeps coming out though that's my favorite fucking part killing trees right speaking of killing trees uh Uh, what are you guys doing for arbor day nothing when is arbor day i don't fucking i always climb do we want to do the bourbon or the rye barrel i think we need to get into question number two that i asked these uh two brewers real quick um i asked them after they brew and they sit there in the in in the or they or they're planning to get the, a barrel aged beer. How do you how do they prep the barrel to house the beer? And this is uh this is what they came up with. 
Now there's a there's a certain prepping that goes with with the barrels. Um, I heard you guys got to soak them for the outside for a little bit to let the wood swell. Um, what about the sanitation process of the barrels? Is there anything like that going on? Or well, if they're coming from a distillery and they're fresh and wet inside, then we don't have to do much with them, and we can. We can tell, you can do a lot of different things to tell whether a barrel is dried out or not. You can just look at it. Uh, the simplest thing you can do is just, <laughs> you look at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it, it, it it's dry because it's dry. Um, no, but then you, you pop the uh, bung and look inside with a flashlight. And if you see um, whiskey sloshing around in there. That, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's great. Um, we will remove any residual bourbon that's in our barrels uh, because some barrels will will get and they'll have like a whole bottle worth of bourbon in them really and, free yeah. bourbon yeah yeah it's good <laughs> stuff too i mean we had to try it for science of course of science <laughs> yeah so uh it's it's really good stuff um obviously barrel strength <laughs> of course um uh, so yeah, we, we will remove any of that residual bourbon that comes to us with the barrels because I, I don't want one barrel getting the equivalent of a bottle of bourbon in it and then another barrel not. I want these barrels to get kind of an equal flavor pickup okay. and an equal amount of alcohol pickup. And the one variable that we're getting is, well, one of the biggest variables we're getting is if there's actually bourbon sloshing around in there, how much is it? In some cases, it can be just like a tiny little puddle. In some cases, mm -hmm. it can be almost a bottle worth of bourbon. Um, and then some are dried out, and then they've lost. Um, the alcohol's evaporated. It's gone. Um, the flavor is still in the barrel. So what we don't want is a variable amount of alcohol pickup from actual bourbon left in the, in the okay. barrel. So we're, we're dumping that out. Um, and then, yeah, evaluating dryness and whether we have to do any barrel prep. We are, if the barrels seem very dry, um, just as a precaution, what we will do is, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit, with all of our barrels that we're getting in, they're generally kind of dusty, um, dirty. You know, they've been sitting in a barrel, a whiskey warehouse for years. Oh, okay. um, You know, they call them rick houses. Gotcha. And they're giant warehouses full of barrels, Um and they just kind of sit in the dark there for many, many years. So they get a lot of dust and dirt built up on them. And we will wash the outside of the barrel before we even think about using it. Of course, yeah. So we'll wash it um, with, we have on-demand hot water heaters here. So we'll wash it down with 185 degree water. And then if we feel that the barrel needs additional um, moisturizing, I'm going to call it, um, we will soak some towels in uh, sanitizer water mixture one of our food grade brewery sanitizers and we'll drape the barrel with those towels to help the staves soak up a little bit more liquid hydrate them uh, the problem is if the oak staves dry out they shrink and when they shrink they little gaps appear between the staves and then you got a leaky barrel that's either going to leak beer out or um yeah, just let too much air in. So that's what we're doing to, uh, whenever, whenever we're putting beer into the barrels, um, if we're worried about the barrel being too dried out or when we're taking beer out of the barrels later on in the process, um, we want to be able to push the beer. We have this cool, we have this cool device. It's like a stainless steel tube that, that goes into the bunghole on the barrel mm -hmm. and it's, 
it siphons the beer out of the barrel using pressure. So we need that barrel to be tight. Oh, okay. um, we can't have leaks in the top. And sometimes um, what you'll get is you'll develop slight little cracks between the staves at the top of the barrel, which is above the surface of the beer, the aging beer, because the beer, as the beer ages in the barrel, the barrel soaks up a little bit of the beer. The level of the beer can go down in the barrel, and that can lead to a little bit of stave um, staves opening up along the top side of the barrel. Okay. So what we'll do before transferring out of the barrels when we're ready to package is we'll do that same trick with swelling, swelling yep. up the wood yep. with the water. Yep. Just draping some of those sanitizer towels across the top. Um, even spraying it down with a little hot water on the top to try and make sure that those staves on the upper part of the barrel are nice and tight. It's so a pretty cool get, trick. Get the beer out of, yep. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's kind of basic stuff that you'll come up with if you if you encounter that scenario where you're like, damn, we can't get we If can't you've done it more beer. than five times, yeah. you know this trick. <laughs> you'll come across you'll learn a barrel. Pretty quick. Yeah, you'll come across a barrel and you'll realize, oh, it's leaking, it's leaking CO2. We can't push the beer out. How are we going to get it out? Well, where you're going to have to literally lift it in the air with a forklift and siphon it like you're siphoning gas or an aquarium or something, yep. you know. One, gravity feed yeah, siphon. Gravity yep. feed siphon. You literally have to siphon it out or you come up with a way to uh, seal that barrel back up again. And we've had some really finicky, frustrating barrels that we've literally wrapped with shrink wrap <laughs> and duct tape <laughs> when we're trying to get the beer out of that barrel because some barrels are just leaky as can be and you start putting pressure on them and the leaks just come out all over the place. So, oh no. <laughs> yeah, we've that was probably the craziest trick we had to try is is taking our shrink like palletizing shrink wrap and like wrapping the entire barrel up and then wrapping it with the self yep. the self wrappers. Yeah, yep. I'm very well of aware you, of those. Yep. You put 10 PSI on there and just hope that the beer comes out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's just bubbling and fizzing all over the place. Yeah, that was interesting to hear about the <laughs> the saran wrap and duct tape. Why can't they just poke a hole in the bottom? Let it just fall out? Just wondering. I don't know. But I asked the same thing to Tom from Drecker, and here's what he said. Sure. So we are pretty fortunate to work with a couple great uh, barrel companies. Uh, Midwest Barrel specifically is who we've been doing a lot of barrel stuff with recently. And we're lucky enough that when, typically when we get a barrel from them, they're considered fresh dumped, meaning whatever distillery they came from or whiskey. Um, you know, whiskey's the big one because I, for whatever reason, the supply chain network of those are, are really good for um, getting these freshly dumped barrels. Things like red wine barrels, rum, that sort of stuff can be a little spotty, but um, they'll actually pressure test all the barrels with just air before they send them to us so we know for the most part these barrels are holding pressure which is the big thing because when you don't want you you know obviously you don't want your and it happens still i mean you can look around us and there's a little bit of beer on the floor the barrels you know with the temperature changes and such will tend to leak a bit so you um, want them to be like arnold and really swole when yeah you with the beer in swole. <laughs> yep. that's that's what we're looking for is that swole barrel typically we don't do much prior or other than just making sure they're pressure tested a lot of times we'll just throw a little bit of uh we have access to like 180 degree water on demand so we'll throw a little bit of that on top of the uh the barrel heads themselves and just again looking for that swole head and they're trying to swell the head a little bit just let that water expand to prevent any leaks but for the most part we're not doing any sort of boiling water sanitization or anything like that it's just kind of um at the mercy of what's in the barrel 
Is it you ever get stuff inside of the barrel come with it, like a little bit of bourbon left over or whiskey? Yeah, or? they call it the dregs or whatever. We've poured some out, and it's uh, it's pretty rough. It's alcohol- <laughs> it's definitely alcoholic, and depending on when you get the barrel, you know, um, down Midwestern is in uh, Nebraska, and we were down there visiting them once, and they had like a little corny keg, like a homebrew corny keg full of like dregs from all these like pappy barrels and stuff, and <laughs> it's... It's got a lot of oak chips, like charred oak chips, and it's kind of thin, but the ABV is still like 60% alcohol. It's very weird. But <laughs> no. Some toasty stuff is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like whiskey. It's just like, it's like rubbing alcohol water. It's not that tasty, but um, so typically we just don't even deal with that. And, you know, if, if that's still in there, it's probably going to reabsorb into the barrel after a while. So typically by the time we're ready to fill them with beer, they'll, they'll be all not dry on the inside, but just... Uh, all that liquid will be in the wood. So, yeah, I loved hearing about that whole how they prep the prep the beer, and that was a pretty good earning joke I put in there about Arnold and Swole. Uh, Swole. I thought I, I thought I did you Shit. proud there, Big Earn. Come well, on. thanks. Thanks for <laughs> thinking of me. It's not easy, is it? No. So uh, that was interesting. What you guys think about that? Prepping the barrel. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that you had to really get them super soaked so you can really get them. I thought they just kind of naturally came that way. And with the metal rings on the outside, that's how they got it to really um, clamp nice. together and be leaky or non-leaky. But no, it's actually fucking swelling the wood up. It's still an organic material that needs to be treated as such. It's, mm-hmm. To be honest, it's it's like maintaining a guitar. I'm not going to lie. Uh <clears throat> Every time the, the weather changes, I have to do different crap to my stuff to make sure that it's playing correctly, and barrels are going to be the same way. They're not going to seal if they're all dry and shrunk up. So. Yeah, if you mm-hmm. just let your uh, acoustic guitar sit out, you'll develop cracks in them over time. And then Exactly. If you're, if you're cool enough, you can take it down to one of the guitar shops in town, and they'll just sit it in their acoustic room and... Mm-hmm. Fix it for you. It's like a humid, humid And then fire. just charge you a little bit of money for it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I had a big, big, pretty bad crack in my tailor and yeah. Mm-hmm. Took it down and had some friends help me out. Nice. Yeah. So let's talk about the second beer from Junkyard. This one is their basement business barley wine. This one was um is the bourbon version. Let's hear uh, Aaron tell us about it. Jeez, boy, my fucking English is really bad. Hey, let's have Aaron tell us about this beer, shall we? (laughs) Hey, why not? Nailed it. All right, this next beer is the 2020 version of the Basement Business Willet Bourbon Barrel-Aged Barley Wine. This beer has cozy aromas of caramel, vanilla, and fig, reminiscent of a bourbon sticky roll. Flavors of fig, dried cherries, and burnt sugar lead to a balanced bourbon finish. And this one is a 12.1% ABV. Uh, what can you tell us about doing this one in the barrel aging there, Aaron? Well, we did two versions of this beer. Most of the most of this batch went into rye barrels, Willet rye whiskey barrels, um, and then the uh, rest of it went into Willet bourbon barrels. So we did a little bit of both. Well, the the beer itself, uh, basement business that went into these barrels, was the same exact beer um, going into both bourbon and rye. Um, and we wanted when we were when we were formulating the recipe for basement business, um, we wanted kind of a hybrid recipe that was somewhere between an American barley wine and an English barley wine, because an English barley wine is going to be a lot more malt centric, 
Okay. Uh, have a lot less bitterness and hop presence. More sweet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tend, probably tending to be more on the sweet side. I mean, there's variations within every style, and then there's always brewers going off, you know, just going wacko and calling something a style that it's completely not. But in general, we wanted our our version to be not quite as at the hoppy at the higher hoppy level higher bitterness level that a lot of american style barley wines should be in okay um we didn't want it to be quite as low as um where the english uh, bitterness and i'm mainly speaking about bitterness level because that's what's going to lead to the perception of the barley wine being sweet versus dry is how much bitterness that barley wine has um so we wanted one that was kind of in between the bottom end of the American barley wine spectrum, the upper end of the English barley wine spectrum. Okay. As far as bitterness level, we're not looking for a, a lot of hop flavor or aroma or general hop character beyond bitterness in a barley wine because it's going to be aging for a long time. Uh, that flavor and aroma is not going to really carry through very well. I suppose you could do like a dry hopped barley wine right before you package it, but. I just don't think that that would play very well with the malt and uh, barrel characteristics. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're looking mainly for bitterness with the hops in a barley wine. And Hoptar's up substantially. It's got a bitter backbone, but it's not overwhelming. It lets a lot of the caramel toffee uh, flavors of the malt shine through and then gives a chance uh, f- gives a chance for a big barrel characteristic to, to come into play, too, without being... Um, dried out by too much bitterness because the barrel character will add a little bit of a drying perception to the beer as well okay um if you have a beer that's too bitter and you introduce a barrel character it can just get overwhelmingly bitter and dry yeah or otherwise you would need to tune the recipe so that it had enough residual sweetness to stand up to all that barrel and bitterness the bourbon is going to be a little more mellow um You're going to get more vanilla notes and caramel notes? Yeah, you're going to get more of the standard bourbon character. Um, It harmonizes really well with the barley wine, uh, lends itself toward more of a traditional kind of sweet, caramely barley wine characteristic. I feel like it's contrasted by the rye in the sense that the rye is just, it's got that spicy note that just makes it a little more interesting. Um, it's got a little bit more complexity there going on. So that's why we tend, that's why we kind of preferred the, the rye over the bourbon. They're both, both very good. And I, some people probably like the bourbon uh, variety better, uh, because just a little bit more of a traditional flavor, a little bit more of a classic barrel aged flavor, but that's not always what we're looking for. Yes. And if you head to porchdrinking.com out of the 2020 big beers, Belgians and barley wines, poor list and can't miss beers. Yours is on the list. Congratulations on that one. That's awesome. I was not aware of that. All right. And to the ratings. All right. What do you guys get in the nose in this one? You get that dried cherry fig and... um... I wrote uh, Swedish, but not the country. Uh, Heard to Gerd? Or the the chef. Yeah. But sweet like weird sour funkiness. Because I'm still trying to figure out barley wines. I don't know that I really understand them. Um, but there's always this bit of funkiness that that's on them. This one has a little more sweetness to it right away. But uh. I'm a huge fan of barley wines. I go go through my list of things that you know I typically enjoy. Vanilla is one of them. Caramel I think can ruin almost anything, be it a dessert, be it a beer, or whatever. But it can also tie a bunch of ingredients together. 
And then the whole fig aspect of it, um, who's actually eaten a fresh fig before? We have. We actually brewed a beer. We brewed a beer with with figs. (laughs) Uh, Most people haven't. Your your idea of of a fig is a fig Newton, and your life is ruined when it comes (laughs) to figs. I eat those by the fucking sleeve. Dude, uh, four years ago, on vacay... They had fresh figs, you know, on the buffet line for breakfast, and I'm like, I'm gonna try this. I'm like, oh my, I'm going back there in three weeks, and I'm like, I've already been talking to other people about fresh figs and how it's they're they're great, and we don't get that around here. And I can actually taste that in this, and this is actually really nice. And the caramel does not overpower it for me, but yeah, that upfront sweetness, it's there. But it, it's a nice balance, a nice blend. Uh, while we were listening to that last clip, there, I'm, I'm telling them like, I really like this, man. So this is good. Yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, don't quite understand it. There's a lot of weird things going on, but yeah, you know, you get that fig and you get a little bit of sweetness. And I've it, heard you're into weird, great. like the Swedish thing. You're just <laughs> yeah, right. Where'd that yeah. wig come from, anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Olga, I know I made it myself. It's from other parts of my body. So. <laughs> oh, yummy back hair, <laughs> mostly foot, most foot hair, foot hair. <laughs> I grow like a Sasquatch. <laughs> Sam Squint. It's very, uh, I get a very slate aroma again. I don't, I don't get a whole lot, um, but it has a beautiful amber color. No. Yes, yes <laughs> it does. Izzy yes, it agrees is. with me too. Yep, that's really amber. <laughs> I agree with Ernie. The aroma wasn't not like overpowering, but it's there. It's subtle, just like the finish. Well, not not gonna lie, but after sipping on the king size there. Your senses are, are a little bit desensitized already. Oh, sure. So if, if you if we crack this first and smell it, like, it's it's there. But right now, for us, it seems faint. But if you try this again in an hour after drinking water, it, it's going to be stronger than what we think right now, I That's think. That's a fair point. Oh, absolutely. And this one also is a 12.1% ABV. Perfect. Still weak. <laughs> weak sauce. Now, this is, I, I would name it Funky Bourbon Light. It's, okay. it's got it's got a really cool. I, I like the bourbony finish on it, uh, but it's like a light bourbon. You know, where do you fit cold Medina in there? <laughs> oh, I, I fit it in whenever, wherever I fit. <laughs> Find me a crevasse, <laughs> <laughs> sweaty crevasse. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I was really looking forward to getting some notes from you guys about, besides Mick here about that. You know, the burnt sugar and dried dried cherries, especially, but. Maybe that was that funk that you were talking about, Chris? It could be. I can't. I, I still can't put my finger on it because I haven't had enough barley wines where it's like, okay. So I feel and I taste that same underlying barley wine note that I'll just chalk up to barley wine. I don't know what that note is, is though. Is it like that touch of sour? Like, I mean, right. it's not like super sour, but it's no, no, not it's, at all. It's that, not like a sour beer, but funkiness. There's a sourness yeah. to it. Not vinegar. It's it's none of those things I said, but it's all of those things that I said. I personally and I feel don't like, know what word to actually use for it. I think that bit, if I'm not mistaken, is coming from the cherries. When cherry is too strong, I actually hate it. But when it's done right, like this is. But I think that's where that little sour. Yeah, I can't pinpoint any one thing. They meld well together, mm-hmm. and it's got that. Agreed. I, I want to say off taste, but it's off in a great way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they they all meld so well together that you can't distinguish and dissect it. They blend that well. Right. Yeah. Nothing jumps out and slaps you in the face. Um, but, you I'm know, wondering if it, it isn't that burnt sugar with the cherries that c- c- gives it that little bit of a dry 
aftertaste, but it's okay. kind of a smooth. I would dry say that's aftertaste. That's probably it's, oak. it's hard to explain too. So. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, okay. Oak tannins. After hearing it for four times, I think it probably is that burnt sugar with a little bit of acidity from a fruit. You know, they sparge less and they just there it is. increase up sparge. That's a bummer, man. <laughs> sparge <laughs> as often as possible. I said the word. Yeah! There we go. And I, I think I get a little bit of that vanilla right before it dries out at the end. Just like a hint of something kind of sweet. And I think it, it's that vanilla, or maybe it's that caramel that Mick was talking about too. It just, but it's not overpowering. They they just use just enough to smooth it right in there. And that's I rolled it. That's honestly what a, a nice fresh fig tastes like too. It's just a little bit sweet, but not overly sweet. Kind of like a, a, a more funkified raisin is how I would describe a fig, a real fig. Yeah, and I ate them hungover in Mexico every morning. <laughs> Lots of seeds in those little bastards. Yeah. Helps you with the digestion. All right, let's throw some numbers on this one, guys. Who wants to start? I'll start. All right. Uh, damn. Uh, f- four, seven, five. Hey, that's the exact same number I wrote down. Interesting. Is that... I'll make your numbers work. Yeah, still, still work on the barley wine thing. I got it. Okay. Tori? Four and a half. Four and a half? Just to be different. Okay. <laughs> Mick, what do you got out of six? I want to make sure he's not different. I'm doing four and a half as okay. well. Uh, I could, again, I could drink this all day just like that last one. Oh, for but sure. I don't, I know a lot of people that probably may not like this. Probably may not. Probably may sense. not. Well, I'm, I would I'm glad this. you're definitive. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the wife would drink that last one. This one, I don't know. She just, nah, nah. Yeah. She says nah to a lot of things for me. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would want maybe a little bit more of says, that vanilla or caramel in this. Just a little bit, just to, I don't know, maybe just, off even that slight dryness at the end. I think that maybe. Are you talking a little more sweetness to offset the dry? That, yeah, but I'm a, uh, I like sweet things. It also That's, says, uh, it actually uh, says on the, on the label here, to, we'll let it warm up to about 50 degrees to properly highlight the flavor and aroma. I really so, think this warm would bring out a lot more stuff. I poured a little bit more in, your, uh, in yours, Mick, so we can keep it, let it warm up a little bit and see what it tastes like. Gotcha. I'll do that too. <clears throat> All do, right. Um, do you keep a thermometer on hand? It's no, called, I should though. It's I, have my, I have my rectal uh, one Unfortunately, right here. it's in it's my thermometer. Ass. Yep. No, I keep my rectal on me before I go into stores. People I keep look my rectal funny outside. I keep my rectal in me. Uh, I'm <laughs> monitoring all the time, just like my heartbeat through my phone. It's real thorough of you. Is there an app for that? Uh, nope. You got to do it the old-fashioned way. Nice. I put, uh, I put barbs on mine so it doesn't fall out when I'm walking. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry about that. Like hey, a, I wanted to... Like dog. <laughs> before we move on to the next question and the next beer, I just wanted to um, shoot you a little something. Um, I recorded a little something extra from question number two on how to prep the barrel uh, from Aaron. Let's hear what he has to say. As far as cleaning barrels, in some cases we have felt like we needed to clean a barrel uh, to make sure of its sanitation or clean it between uses. And to do that, we will just simply rinse that barrel with, briefly rinse that barrel with 185 degree water. To The idea is to pasteurize it. You're never going to get a barrel clean, clean, like stainless table clean, but you can uh, rinse out the sediment that's in it. You can uh, pasteurize it. And so we'll just... What our technique is just to uh, rinse it with some really hot 185-degree water briefly. We're not trying to pull a bunch of flavor out of it, just trying to 
get it clean. Make sure that, uh, make sure that no, uh, other bugs get in there, right? Yep. And that's a technique we'll use a lot more for mixed culture barrels. If we want to, um, just make sure we're starting with a, from a blank slate or we didn't like the last thing that was in there and we're going to start fresh. So using brewer sanity is not a good idea. <laughs> just water warm enough to, to kill the bacteria that's in it that could funkify a beer. What would you like to eat tonight? I don't know. What are you feeling? Uh, you know, I, I could go for burgers or wings. I don't know, maybe even pizza. What are you thinking? We just had pizza. I don't know. Uh, that's what I'm asking you. Well, maybe we should look online. Is what? It happens in nearly every home in America almost every day. At some point, someone asks, what are we going to eat tonight? Worry not. Fargo Takeout's artificial intelligence robotic chef, the Decisionator, is here to make the choices for you. You'll find its three top choices for takeout. If none of the three choices sounds good to you, just click the Nope, Try Again button. Even an artificial intelligence robot chef gets it wrong once in a while. The next time your relationship seems strained based upon what's to put on the table, turn to FargoTakeout.com slash Decisionator. And remember, save a meal, save a marriage. FargoTakeout.com slash Decisionator. So um, I also wanted to know from these brewers, what is the science part? Like, like what kind of lab work do you do? Is there something with temperatures on these, on putting them in the barrels? And this is what Aaron had to say. Uh, so for our home brewer crowd out there listening to the podcast and maybe other brewers too, um, when it comes to like figuring out your, your laboratory stuff, like your gravity and all that jazz while it's in the barrel, how do you do that? I mean, do you have a siphon that you can crack open like a wine barrel or something, or, or you just open the bung up real quick, do uh, get a sample out and close it back up or. We use a technique called the Vinny nail and that comes from a guy named Vinny Chalerzo, who's one of uh, co-owner of Russian river brewing. Hmm. Pliny the elder. And, yeah. Huh? Yep. That, that beer. Um, so that brewery is one of the breweries that pioneered barrel aging. And in their case, it's more of the mixed culture variety um, where they're doing sours and stuff with Britannomyces. And they, I think Vinny took this idea from the wine is, industry. And it's essentially you drill a tiny little hole in the barrel, um, in the head of the barrel, which is one of the flat ends of the barrel. And these barrels, when you're aging beer in barrels, if it's wine or, or whiskey barrels or whatever, they're going to be laying on their side in a barrel rack generally, side by side. But And so the ends are typically exposed on the barrel rack, even if they're stacked one on top of the other. And so what you would do is uh, when you're doing your barrel prep, um, and if you forget about it, you can even come back and do it later. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more messy, but you can do it later. You take a, a drill. Um, our guys will heat the drill bit up with a torch to make sure it's sanitary. And, that you know, they're going a little bit overboard. But they'll heat the drill bit up with a torch to make sure it's sanitary. They'll drill a tiny little hole in the head of the barrel. And they will uh, pound in a little sanitized stainless steel nail. So when you want to get a sample from the barrel, you just go up to that barrel that you want and pull the nail um, with the pliers or whatever, and a little stream of beer comes shooting out. And you can put a cup under it, you can put your head under it, <laughs> put your hand under <laughs> there, gulp, 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 gulp. whatever you need to do. Um, 
so, yeah, it's a really cool technique for sampling, uh, sampling beer out of barrels that doesn't require opening the barrel up, exposing more oxygen, oxygen than, yeah. yeah, letting more oxygen in than is needed. Oxygen doesn't, is the enemy of beer. Yeah, it'll make it, it'll make your uh, barrel aged beer taste pretty stale. If you let too much, yep, if you let too much oxygen in there, a little bit of the, a little bit of that is, is what you're looking for in a barrel aged beer to soften the beer and kind of round it out in slow micro amounts of oxidation in a big barrel aged beer like that are going to give it a really nice like dark fruit flavor but if you get too much yeah it's going to taste like cardboard so wet cardboard you don't want that so yeah that's a cool technique for sampling out of barrels i think a lot of brewers a lot of professional brewers are aware of that technique and it works the same way if you've got a barrel that you want to sample and you forgot to put a nail in it same process just grab a cordless drill sanitize it drill into the side of the barrel and when you pull that drill bit out be ready to real quick pop a nail in there. This little stream of beer is going to come up, come following it. Gotcha. So what scientific processes do you use while it's in the barrel? I mean, do you do, you do the original stuff that you would normally do with it's in the regular fermenter? We just wait. Just wait? We're not looking for fermentation in the barrel with our, with our, um, I guess I should distinguish um, when we're, when we're doing like whiskey barrel aging um, with Imperial Stouts and stuff, we're not looking for fermentation in the barrel. So we're trying to avoid bringing yeast, brewer's yeast, over to that barrel. Brewer's yeast is not going to continue to be active for three or four months. It's gonna, it, it's just gonna, it's going, it's gonna go into hibernation first, and then it'll eventually start to die, and then you'll get some autolytic autolysis. Ooh, uh, sciencey words. Yeah, what, what, where, what kind that, of flavors are those? That's where the yeast um, dies and explodes, and it's. <clears throat> the <laughs> contents. Wow, okay. Yeah, and its guts go into the beer. And it's generally not a positive flavor. <laughs> so, what kind of awful flavors is, comes with that? It, it's kind of it can be kind of briny. Um it can be yeah, it's it's generally not good. The yeast are absorbing um things like diacetyl which have like a buttery flavor. Uh, if you if you pull the beer off the yeast too soon after fermentation, you'll get this diacetyl flavor, diacetyl. Some people people pronounce it differently, um, but you'll get this diacetyl flavor, which is like butter popcorn. And uh, if you let the yeast finish what they're doing, they'll reabsorb that. So they're letting off everything that they've reabsorbed, plus all the other contents of their cell. Um, so it's just a real uh, it's just a real mixture of bad stuff. So it's, it can, it can kind of manifest in different ways. Um, understandable. Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> so so we're, we're trying to get beer into the barrels with no yeast in there. Um, unless we're doing a mixed culture beer, which I should distinguish if we're doing a mixed culture, uh, beer, we want, uh, Britannomyces and Lactobacillus and other bacteria, souring bacteria to be active in that and continue fermenting those, those microbes will continue to be active over a long period of time. Yeah, and generally we we don't want any yeast activity or fermentation in our uh, imperial stouts that are in bourbon barrels. And then with our mixed culture stuff, yeah, we definitely want activity. And we're checking those a lot more often. We're going to check those for gravity and check those for pH, the mixed culture beers. I was uh, going to ask is. about that. Yep. yep. With imperial stouts, the science is really just waiting. And then you taste it periodically. Uh, it's l much less scientific with the uh, imperial stouts it's just waiting and tasting and patience then, yeah and then when something you, i don't have <laughs> yeah. i want that beer now <laughs> yep yeah 
you got to stay busy in the meantime and kind of forget about it for a while. That's when they turn out the best, it seems like. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then we will test pH and uh, gravity when we decide to package them, just to know what it is and see if it's changed. It's kind of just a good a good piece of information to grab when you're when you're getting ready to package the beer. Um, but on the other hand, uh, with those mixed culture beers, grabbing pH and gravity along the way tells you the story of how that beer is developing and and when you know what the tra- trajectory is. Is looking or if you like, have to adjust anything. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you may you may want to you may go. Oh, this is going to be ready way faster than we thought, or this needs a lot more time based on the slow progress I'm seeing. So you can you kind of plot the trajectory of the beer um, with those mixed culture sours based on your experience and everything you know about that. Yeah. The interior guts of yeast. Yeast Blah. guts. Briny. I wouldn't like that for those flavors at all. That's that was gross. very graphic description. Yeast guts was a third bass player for corn. <laughs> <laughs> and he sucked too. <laughs> oh, Throwing shade. I, right. I love that shade. That's good. That's good Ray. shit. All right. Let's see what uh, Tom has to say. Yeah, so when we're looking at barrel aging a beer, there's there's not a whole lot of lab work that goes into it other than we're just – we're you know, monitoring final gravity, seeing if we're actually at terminal fermentation. You know, a lot of the, especially the beers that we've been releasing lately, these big, thick pastry stouts, they're starting at a, like a gravity that you could, they're start, they're finishing at a gravity that you could start like a 7% porter at. There's so much residual sugar. Um, we're just, we're, we're creating so much sugar that the yeast legitimately cannot, like the strains that we're using are not able to ferment past 12 to 14%. So, do our gravity or our ABV calculation and see where we're at for alcohol. But other than that, you know, we always, always taking, you know, the typical like final pH of the, of the beer and things like that. We always do, but nothing at that point we can really do about, um, say a beer was too acidic or something like that. That's more for your records for down the line. Yeah. So um, research. Yeah. So if we pulled a sample and like, wow, this beer has got a little acidic bite to it, like that might be, one we stay away from or we want to buffer before during the brew process to avoid that down the line. Um, a lot of this stuff, the lab work would have to be done like prior to fermentation that's going to affect this stuff. We don't do any cell counting of the actual like post-fermentation stuff, just assuming that we're letting that beer condition long enough that if it's if there is still yeast in there, it's either dead or, or dormant, and then we can deal with the possible re-fermentation before we package the um, trube yeah yep but yeah and as far as like temperatures go um i mentioned that cold crashing process earlier uh, we don't take this fully to cold crash temperatures just because if you're taking a beer to like 32 degrees and then trying to put it into a barrel you're going to get some weird um you know thermodynamics you're going to get some weird expansion and contraction stuff uh going on with the actual liquid and just we're just all about our barrels are sitting in a pretty public sp- space so we're not like we're really trying to avoid them spewing over and like having this horrible cleanup for all the taproom staff always to deal with. You know, in the future, we might be moving towards offsite barrel aging and just keeping some spent ones in here just because of the, you know, it's not, a, it's aesthetically pleasing to look at the barrels, but it, not if there's a bunch of barrel leaks and stuff all over the floors. And barrel leaks are a real thing. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's no secret. Everybody, Everybody who barrel ages will tell you like you can see some now that are leaking, but it's just part of the part of the process. I mean, it's the oldest way to deal with beer. I mean, they fermented in barrels back before 
stainless was even invented. So, so yeah, I'm sure that uh, Travis would really appreciate those parts of it. So yeah, basically in stouts, you're just basically doing gravity before, and then gravity, as you as Aaron says, you know, you do that uh, that nail thing, and you're able to sample it and just make sure where your gravity's at. And that's pretty much it, unless you're doing like uh, mixed cultures, just like uh, what uh, Tom was saying about what upcoming projects that Drecker might be having. So yeah, let's uh, let's try this third beer here. This is the basement business uh, barley wine aged in rye Willet barrels, also twelve point one percent. Yeah, so there. So this is same juice, different barrels. Yeah, the same barley wine, just just different barrels. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And here's what Aaron had to say about the rye barrels. All right. This next beer is the rye version of the same, uh, the Basement Business 2020 Willet. Uh, what characteristics were you looking for specifically to calm down the spicy notes of the rye whiskey on this one? Some of that rye flavor did carry through uh, the barrel because I'm assuming that Willet doesn't have like different barrels for their rye whiskey. They probably use the same the barrels same for rye and bourbon. The same, yeah, they're, they're probably not sourcing different oak or I don't know. Maybe they do have different char uh, levels, but in general, we just found that a little bit of the rye spicing, fl- spiciness. Spicy uh, notes, yeah, the peppery, yep. Yep, yeah, we found that they actually did carry through to the, we were hoping they would carry through, and, and we thought that they did carry through to the finished barley wine. So, uh, and then our our uh, preference here amongst ourselves was that the, we liked the rye barrel aged version a little bit better the bourbon's really nice it's just a more it's a more mellow barley wine um it doesn't have that kind of spicy counterpoint Um, okay gotcha and how long did you air uh age these in these barrels here i don't i should i'd have to look at our record to tell you that that one was a little bit longer than your average it was long it was i want to say it was more like six months to six to eight months versus three to four and part of that is probably just because we forgot about it or didn't really have an didn't really have a good reason to to need to package it gotcha wasn't wasn't weather yet right (laughs) it wasn't yeah it wasn't really i mean summer's not barley wine weather we got toward fall and we thought "Eh, we should probably figure out what to do with this barley wine it's been sitting around for a while we need more space (laughs) yeah we need to put some new stuff in barrels we need to get this barley wine out and we were tasting it along the way tasting it and saying oh yeah it's tasting great but yeah, it was more or less for reasons of not prioritizing, not needing that. Um, I, I said before that there's not a real big demand for barley wine, so there was no there was no uh, de- hurry. There was no demand sucking that barley wine out of the barrels. Yeah, there's no big hurry to get it out. And this uh, this rye version was the favorite of the brewery from from the brewers. Yeah, themselves. favorite of our brewers um, and the packaging staff and everybody else who tried it here was. There were people who I think liked. I can't remember who they were at the moment, but um, I, there were those amongst us who liked the bourbon. But I, I think overwhelmingly we preferred the rye variety. Excellent. Well, Aaron, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. All right, and on to the reviews, guys. What do you think? Ah, well, yeah, uh, (laughs) very similar, maybe a little bit, uh, a a bit more smut, Jesus, (laughs) spice on the nose, (laughs) Jesus, fuck, my mouth got stapled together partway through that last bit, hot, I don't know what happened, but yeah, that's about all I get, a little bit more spiciness, 
A little less sweet. A little less sweet. Uh, Tastes great. A little less filling. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that a beer commercial? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was old Keystone Light, I think. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was good. One. Uh, Bob Uecker, ladies and gentlemen. Like. Bob Uecker, yeah. He gets one. He gets one. <laughs> Take a bite. No, I like the, the golden raisin part. Then again, I like anything golden. So Showers? Yes. Call them our Kelly kids. <laughs> Deja, oh, deja vu. Mm, what? No. no golden showers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anybody but, else in the nose? I, I think taste and nose it was just a little bit richer darker aroma and taste not not a the lot the feeling of darkness that doesn't look darker yeah that's why i prefer it but it's got this it's got this looming presence of darkness <laughs> slightly more evil <laughs> I, I pull up their website as we're looking at this here uh, the aromas begin with you know the golden raisin the orange zest i'm not getting the orange zest when i smell it so okay that yeah but as uh, same time, looking at the website here, uh, we might be drinking these out of the wrong glasses. Tell you Absolutely. The truth. Oh, for sure. Yep. We so are. You, you see the picture of the one, you know, it's more. it's got a stem. Yeah, know, they got tulips. They're using tulips. I'm yep, just yeah. using uh, four-ounce shot glasses. And uh, with my experience, uh, I've, I've, I've traveled Europe a couple times, and I drink as many flipping beers as I can. Okay, Blake. And they get mad if they don't have the proper glass for you. Yeah. And well, very specific to that, and I enjoy that, appreciate that. It it's a it very much is a thing. Yeah. Um, I might have brought it up on one of our other episodes, but just the other night I was going through. I've got uh, three different Knob Creeks at home, right? I've got a ten, a twelve, and a rye. Knob. And I was just having my girlfriend help me out. Have so you polished them? She poured some in each in three different glasses and marked the bottle so I could drink them by myself and be able to figure out which one was which and see if I could tell. I had two Glencairn glasses, and then I had one from Norlands. And for some reason, the rye and the highest ABV was in the Norlands glass, and it came across lots, uh, a lot less alcoholy. And I thought that was really strange, so I poured a 12-year in the Glencairn and a 12-year in the, the other glass, and it was a, a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, both of these glasses are de- developed and designed specifically for drinking whiskey, and I got... Totally different things off of them. Um, so, yes, glassware absolutely makes a big difference, and we're drinking out of these straight up just well, four-ounce tasters. It, they're like pint-style glasses, well, right? It's better than my house. I have Paw Patrol sippy cups. <laughs> <laughs> well, if listeners want to donate the a small pu- monthly the- fee, we can get our our, our uh, tulip sample glasses yeah, for if, the podcast. Yeah. Or if you guys just want to send us some glasses, maybe if uh, anybody from Atypical or anybody that frequents Atypical is listening, they can send us a couple of the, the Taiku glasses. would be really cool. I did notice, though, that when I drink out of the Paw Patrol sippy cup, it's way different than the Doc McStuffins. <laughs> was it? Okay. So the, the cup makes all the difference in the world. It, it does. It really does. Did one seal better for when you fell over? Well, one, <laughs> one made me feel better after I drank it. <laughs> right. I one, got, got one's cuddly. I got my checkup. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> nice. McStuffins. Oh, boy. Yep. I remember. Oh, wait. That's Dr. McStuffins. This, that's this one. There we go. Uh, any other Meep notes pop. on this one? On the palate? I, I, I do get a little bit of that peppery taste like mm-hmm. you would expect to, but it doesn't assault me. I actually kind of appreciate it in this one, and usually I don't. like I, The Nipas, I'm not a big fan of the peppery aftertaste and any kind of IPAs or New England-style IPAs. Um, 
and uh, they nailed it on the head when they say, you know, one difference between this the bourbon and then the rye is going to be that little bit of spicy note, and I call it like that peppery aftertaste. Yep. And I do get that a little bit at the end, but again, it uh, doesn't slap you in the face like "fuck you." So it's a it's a noticeable. It's very difference. smooth, and it, it's it's I can appreciate it's, it actually in this one. Yeah, it's still uh, uh yeah, it, it's, it's still it's a not, malt bomb. It's not overly alcoholic, uh, and it's not overly spicy, but it definitely so it's has. not like you. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not overly alcoholic. I'm like that perfect <laughs> Just level the right of amount of alcoholic. Yeah. Not like my father. It's when you're shooting darts or shooting pool, you're at that right at that good level where you're shooting really well. Yeah, where I make every fourth shot, I make some. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, the longer I sit here after letting the palate work on it, I am getting that orange zest now. Anybody else? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's very yeah, Don't bright. be scared to get a little bit more. More on the nose, though. Typically, I'm getting... Um, just a, yeah, a little more spiciness on the finish, and mm-hmm. it dries out a little bit more than the other one. It makes it feel a little thinner, um, but I I I I, I just so slightly I sh- prefer this one. So I should rub this on my body. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinner. <laughs> I thought nice. it felt thicker that and heavier. Thinner. That's yeah, a, that's thinner. a good movie. That's a... All right, I, you know it. I. So it, maybe like a... this one a little bit better than the bourbon one too, and which and that kind of surprises me. Okay. So there is a noticeable difference. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Definitely. All right. Let's throw some numbers on this one, guys. Who wants to go first? I'll give her a five. I'll, I'll, uh, it's a little bit better than the, the bourbon barrel. Um, I, I did enjoy the king size a little bit better than both, though. Four and three quarter for me. Maybe. Four and three quarter from Tori. I'm going to write uh, 4.75 on that then. Yeah, go ahead and do that. <laughs> I work with tape measures all day, man. That's just how I say it. I'm not I'm, a smart I'm, man. <laughs> but I do but know, the I know what love is. Uh, I'm going to say 4.49, which means a 4.5. I just wanted to, to say I liked it. You want it just on the record. A little bit less <laughs> than the last less? one, but it's still a 4.5 for me. Okay, and Ernie, what was your number? You know, I'm, I know I said I liked it a little bit better, but I'm still going to give it a 4.75. Because I just... It's not a quarter better. Right. Um, I did. If like you could do ch- nickels, I'd give you a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> you are a smelly pirate hooker. There we go. What do we got for numbers there? So the average for the uh, junkyard basement business with the rye, uh, aged in rye whiskey barrels, is 4.75. Just a little bit more. Well, uh, a little bit better. Well, All right. So out of these three, are we doing a... We could do an, out of these three. So... Out of these three, uh, our favorite was the king size, uh, junkyard king size, double barrel aged in Willet bourbon barrels at a five point zero six two five. I really like Willet, and uh, they have a a Willet bourbon that is uh, the bottle shaped like a pot still. It's fucking one of the coolest bottles, and it tastes great. Did you guys save any of this like pros to for warm up? Because I know Mick does. I do. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Bridgeview Liquors in Moorhead. With an impressive supply of craft beers, wines, and spirits, Bridgeview Liquor offers the best variety in Fargo-Moorhead. Not only do they have the best array of alcohol, they also are the most conveniently located liquor store in South Moorhead. Find them off of I-94 and A Street in Moorhead in the Hornbachers building on 37th Avenue. For the month of November, all smoking loon wines are $2 off, and Bend Paddle 6-packs are $2 off, and Bend Paddle 12-packs are $3 off. 
For the week of November 9th, they have a Shvedka Vodka 1.75 uh, for $14.99. Bucks. That's a pretty decent vodka. They have a 12-pack of Angry Orchards for less than 15 bucks. Save three bucks there. And the Franzia. Franzia. Um, Hans and Franzia. Hans and Franzia. <laughs> um, it, from $11.99 to $14.99. You save at least three bucks there. I love my box wines. I, I think they're good. Dude, rip them out the box and slap the bag. And if you're going to do that, you can uh, from the 16th through the 22nd, they have the black box wines for like uh, 17 bucks. That's like five bucks off. That's a good one. That's a good bag slap and boxed wine. Also, some of my favorite stuff, though, uh, what I'm doing now is just watching YouTube videos of live performances and drinking Morgan Diets. I feel like I'm partying. And you can get those for $20.99. You say four bucks. Or Tito's Vodka 175s are $29.99, say five bucks. For the week of November 23rd to the 29th, you can get Miller Lite 24 packs and 12, 12 ounce cans, $2.50 off. You can get White Claw 12 packs for $3 off for only $13.99. And New Amsterdam Vodka and Gin, four bucks off for $16.99. Head on down to Bridgeview Liquors, mention Brews, Booze, and Reviews, and you'll save 10% off all purchases. So head on over to 935 37th Avenue South in Moorhead. Or call Bridgeview Liquors at 218-477-6162. They're open Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 9.55 p.m. And Sundays from 11 a.m. to 5.55 p.m. So why don't we uh, check out these next two questions while we let these two age a little bit in your guys' glass and warm up to about 50 degrees. And we'll find out what happens when the beer is done in the barrel. Let's hear from Aaron first. Uh, the, with whiskey barrels, it's just going to be a, a, like a little bit of uh, charcoal from the char on the inside of the barrel. We'll get a little bit of that from time to time. Um, but we're putting, when we're, when we're emptying barrels, um, getting ready to package, we are emptying them into a fermenter or a bright tank. Um, so it's a stainless tank. And then they have various ports on them that allow you to either dump some stuff off or pull from a different port higher up, um, use a racking arm to choose what level you're going to pull from. Due to the long barrel aging process, everything is, for the most part, settled out in the in the bottom of the barrel. Although our um, siphon, I think it's called the bulldog, is the term that was advertised when we bought it. I think, it's, I think they're known as bulldogs, these barrel siphoning tools. Um, but yeah, the bulldog gets pretty low to the bottom of the barrel. So if there was any sediment, it would probably suck it out and transfer it to the tank. But when you get the beer in the tank, that's another opportunity for you to let everything settle out to the bottom. And then you can dump it off if you want. If there's nothing to dump off, then you just package right off the bottom of the tank. Um, but generally with the bourbon barrels, we'll get a little bit of charcoal dust, maybe a couple little chunks of charcoal. And then with the mixed culture stuff, we're... Uh, being careful, we're going to get a bunch of sediment with the mixed culture ones. So we're going to be careful to uh, let that settle out and uh, pull from high enough above the sediment that we're not moving that into the finished, uh, into the bottle or can or wherever it's going. Well, that's interesting. So they just want to try to make sure that they're not adding a bunch of crap from the bottom of the barrel into the bright tank. So going straight into there from the bright tank. Let's see what uh, Tom has to say real quick. So after we're done um, with the beer in the barrel, we'll rack them out of the barrels into a bright tank for further um, conditioning or for adjuncting them or um, 
you know, they still benefit from being off that oak for a while. So sometimes we'll let them sit for a, a long time in the stainless just to kind of, depending on the alcohol, the spirit that was in it before. like just condition it further? Yeah, because sometimes you can get some really, like rye, for example. Rye whiskey can get really, really spicy if you overage it or if it's just a really, really, like, fresh rye barrel. You can get some really aggressive character. And on top of that, I guess this is bleeding into maybe, an, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, like, the blending process, too, um, benefits from actually sitting in the tank. So it's not just, like rack it into bottles and go which you definitely can do we're not doing any sort of specific filtering um kind of all done on that uh temperature uh, with the temperature stuff like manipulating temperature so um sitting at room temp in the barrels put it into a bright tank and any other charcoal bits uh, that might flow out of that will just settle the bottom of the conical from yeah there, right? really you're not going to get much the, the or in the bright tank i'm sorry yeah the cane that we use we have a special like instrument that's basically it's it's designed to go in the bung and you can um pressurize it and actually like suck with a pump if you need to and what kind is it uh it's called a oh, it's it's a racketeer okay yeah, and you can, I mean, I've seen breweries, I've gone to breweries I really respect, and they're literally just sucking it out of there with like a stainless steel cane that has no attachments or anything, and they're just bleeding a little bit of CO2 on top, and just what you get is what you get. But this one's this one works great, honestly, because uh, with the caveat being that a lot of times these barrels coming out of aging aren't able to hold pressure, so you're going to... You're going to have to probably use a pump sometimes or, and, and I mean, if you're, if you're doing it on a smaller level than us where you're not taking six, seven barrels at a pop, like you could just use a siphon very, very a easily. A gravity siphon? Yeah. yeah. And that's what we actually did prior to having this place. Or I guess one time we were downtown at our old location, we, we bought a, uh, we bought the racketeer, but before that it was just a, a normal siphon and we would just literally si- down there, we would siphon right into kegs and just let them sit in the cold room and then package off of those so racketeers so that's for all your home brewers out there other brewers and other uh, companies that are thinking about doing some barrel aging they should release uh remake that movie uh, that, that's the racketeer. the racketeer oh jesus christ what ernie mm. wasn't saying anything boo boo Man, that's what I think and that's why that. i'd get the boo bullshit <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh had these warmed up a little bit, or do you want to go to the next question, let them warm up a little bit more, and see what they are like after warming up a little bit, those last two barley wines? I might need another... Another question? Another sound bite to All right. sit on these, warm them up like an egg. Another sound, shot. <laughs> sounds good. I don't right. think that's how you're supposed to warm them up. You Tori's do it just, your way, I'll do it mine. Tori's just sitting on the... the Close top. your pants, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to look, don't look, man. This one tastes a little crackier. I can't crackier. help but look. <laughs> nice. Well, this... Fifth question and final one for uh, part one of the barrel aging series is how much blending do you do? Let's see what Aaron has to say. Yeah, we will do, we've done some of both where we've done single barrels and then we've done a lot of, most of what we do is blending barrels. Um, and then there's there's a lot of kind of mystique and romance behind blending and mixing different barrels together. Mm-hmm. But it's to at its simplest form, it's just pulling a nail on eight barrels and saying which four of these do we want to put together (laughs) and because we're going to do two batches of four and we're going to try and keep this consistent so you're pulling nails you're tampling them and you're going oh this one's got a little more tan and this one's got a little more tan and you know two maybe two out of your eight have a little more dry tannic flavor well don't put those in the same blend split them up and put them in their own separate blend makes sense (laughs) yeah it's just simple stuff like that that uh, but the more you get into it the more variables you're dealing with 
So that sounds like a good average kind of theory on on doing some blending. Um, what I found interesting was what uh, Tom had to say next. Uh, so the answer would be a lot. Um, basically, right now we're kind of operating under this. We have two kind of brands that have become, I guess, part of our core or seasonal brands with the What Lies Beneath and Nightman Cometh. Like, Nightman Cometh is my favorite yeah. beer of all time. <laughs> good. Yeah, it's a really good one. I, it's, you, it used to be one of my favorites, and it still is, but it holds a special place in my heart, but we're just getting so crazy that it's kind of hard to remember it. So specifically with those, we're trying to kind of keep those brands pure. So like the bases, if we brew Nightman, if we brew What Lies Beneath, they may go into different types of barrels, but they're all going to get put into the same uh, batch and release. So we're coming up on What Lies Beneath release and Nightman. So we're going to take all just the barrels that were Nightman and What Lies Beneath, different spirits, blend them together, and then that'll be the, the final product. Um, kind of where the direction we're moving with other stouts or these crazy pastry stuff releases is just getting a good base recipe that we really like and then putting that into a bunch of different barrels. Oh, really, Like having a really wide uh, portfolio, not so much deep. So we may have like two or three barrels of each uh, spirit that we like. And uh, then we'll just use those and blend those back in. So it's kind of trial and error. I mean, so you would so you would take like a, your batch of Nightman cometh, right? And you would put them in more than just like like a, a Willet and then a Tattersall and then a Heaven Hill, and that would be you'd blend all three of those types from the same batch, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, and then, the, so I know, and for for previous releases, you would stick to like four roses barrels would be this year's Nightman cometh, or yeah. or Heaven Hill would be this year's. Yeah, and uh, like the barrel aging process in general is, you know, minimum eight months, sometimes 18 months. So like we've been developing, we've been, we've been barrel aging on a higher production level now for only a year. So really like blending is just coming into kind of even being a reality for us. So we used to just get one type of barrel for Nightman, one type of barrel for What Lies Beneath, but now we have access to all these ones and are learning more about the different spirits we like and such so that we can kind of say, okay, we want what lies beneath to be a lot of cherry and vanilla, um, not so much like bourbon spice, whereas like Nightman's a true Russian imperial, like we can get away with more of that dry oakiness versus like that really sweet cherry vanilla kind of thing. So yeah, it's just kind of a trial and error, and that's kind of the the fun and annoying part about it is trying, <laughs> trying to decide what barrels to use, when, what blends well, and then yeah, just moving from that to, to a final product that everybody likes kind of thing trial and error it's a fun thing yeah <laughs> so that was kind of a, a stark contrast there where tom from Drecker they blend all kinds when i was there they had uh, a minimum of four different distilleries that they were getting them from their, their barrels are whereas before uh, when they had the what lies beneath and nightman cometh there was two distinct barrels only well, what I liked is that they're putting thought into it instead of, like, just put it in a fucking barrel, age it, and throw it out there. Where they're going, hey, you know what would make this better is to get this characteristic from the wood, so you to, let's use this barrel. Well, they already, that. you know, started off That's, their careers at home in their basements doing the, let's just throw this in there and see what happens. And that's right. that's the beauty of it. They've learned from trial and error and now they're in, to a point where they can put some actual thought and science behind it. I like it. that they're putting thought into the barrel process and uh, which barrel they pick. That To me, I thought most of them are just like, hey, it's a whiskey barrel. 
we get what we fucking we'll put get. it in there. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Where now they've done it enough. It's like we know we're going to get these characteristics out of this brand barrel, and let's do yep. that. And then, so that's cool. They usually sometimes they send a sample bottle with with a batch of barrels that the the brewers can try. I think we talked about that with an atypical or. When they were talking about doing their barrel, they got that one barrel that you wanted to score and take home with us. What was yeah, it? Yeah, th- well, was it an Eagle Rare? Yep. Yes. Uh, so that was the bourbon that was in it. So they know exactly what so, flavors yeah. coming off of that. Barrel. That was the coolest thing, and you guys should listen back to that atypical episode. But they had episode one hundred. Like, we have this Eagle Rare over here, and it's a store select one. But the barrel that they sent to them, like here, age your sours in this barrel. This bottle actually came out of this barrel. So well, I'll, I'll try it for you guys if you need so, me. For I mean, <laughs> but how cool is that? You could have the bourbon that came you out know, of the barrel too, specifically, and then you're going to fucking use it to make If your you're going to just simply trust any whiskey, then go downtown to a bar that still uses light bulbs for their sign and order, hey, give me any whiskey. Uh, we'll see what happens with you there. Because <laughs> yeah. you know they got shit back there they're trying to get rid of, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, they had the Cuddy Sark from 1984 still back there. <laughs> Dude, I, so that's funny because Keely's grandpa drank Cuddy Sark. And so, uh, you know, when we moved in, there's some bottles laying around, and I'm looking at them like, I don't know what the fuck that is or what that is. Cuddy Sarks, though, everywhere. Cuddy Sarks everywhere with more dust on them than my nuts. <laughs> nice. Wow, that's Well, I was waiting for it to be funny, and you brought your nuts into it. Thank You're you. Well. <laughs> oh, boy. Give him half a chance to put his nuts in anything. <laughs> I'm gonna dip my balls in it. There we go. <laughs> All right, uh, now that we've let these warmed up a little bit, the barley ones especially. Speaking of balls in it. Yep. So the one I had over there for you, Mick, was yep. the bourbon. The one on this one yep. was rye. Uh, you guys taste any difference in the in the bourbon now versus the rye? We'll do the king size last. Now that it's warmed up a little bit, I think you get more. You should get more. Nose on this one, mm-hmm. definitely. The bouquet comes out a bit better. Definitely more nose. I love the sound yeah. of you guys all smelling <laughs> ASMR. Don't make fun of my big German nose. I got one of those too, buddy. It fairly similar to me. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, I get a little bit more booziness out of the rye one yeah, now, maybe, which not, which not makes me one. like it even more than mm-hmm. I than I did the. I liked the rye more than the bourbon to begin with. But I uh, that number it, it's it's increased. I like the rye one a little bit more. Okay. Um, but I don't get a whole bunch of difference out of it. The, yeah, everything just builds a little bit more to me, right? It, it's a you and what do you expect? It's less same, sharp. Would you expect the same change if we were to switch from these glasses to the tulip? Well, I, I don't think it would change. I think you'd what you like is what you like. I think you'd certainly get more out of him. Um, drinking out of a different glass. I think I think the but, uh, the nose would be more amplified for sure. Yeah, with the shape of the glass. I still like the bourbon better. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess warmed up a little bit. It's more of a, a fuller, full mouth feel. It's a rounder, yep. rounder yeah. flavor. I all agree with that. Uh, the rye one does seem thinner. Yes, right. Yep. Less viscous in your mouth. By the way, not but a lot of like, head on these beers so far. But right? I like the flavor out of it uh, a little bit more. Though, mm-hmm. okay. I don't less dislike either, but yeah, the bourbon one. So, did, that for me. would you guys like the barley wine better warm or better when it was colder? Um, I you think, guys, now that you- I think it picked up in, uh, I think everything intensified a little bit more. I think, the, I mean, the flavors came out more. 
it, it softened the edges a bit, so I think it's a little better at room temperature or at, you know, bar floor temperature. <laughs> Give me a fucking floor beer, boy. Floor, floor beer. beer. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while, I think, since we mentioned floor beers. I... Uh, I don't get a whole lot of difference, uh, which you guys kind of mo- mentioned. Um, so either way, for me, maybe a little warmer. Uh, maybe don't store it in your fridge. Maybe leave it. You know, do you think next, it'd be next like a, to the fridge? Think it's a whole quarter of a point better warmer? I would probably rate them the same as I did before. Uh, yeah, so probably not a right. lot. It, Definitely, it, it stays I, at the same rating, but I it's actually a bit expected better. more to come out as it warmed up than a, than what I got. The difference is negligible, but it's there. It is, but just, I don't know if it's, you know, easy to throw it in the fridge and, you know, let it sit there till you're ready to drink it and crack it open and enjoy it versus, you know, waiting. Well, this will, this will be the end of uh, part one of Barrel Aging and Barrel Aging series. Uh, Tori, you got anything you want to promote? Nope. Nope? Nope. How about you, Mick? You got some gigs coming up. You got some things going on. Huh? I do. Uh, it's crazy. Right now, like everything <laughs> is absolutely crazy right now. So, uh, I'm not sure what day you're, you drop this, but you know we, we're in North Dakota and we It'll just had our, had our mandates dropped. Uh, so t- today being Tuesday, then and last night we started going with our curfew in town. And me being a a full time musician, uh, I got some venues that are cool with just bumping it up to seven to ten shows. Uh, I got one venue that's still on the fence as far as what they want to do, and that's coming from the owners, not the general manager. She's awesome. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything within my power to, to keep busy and keep working. Cause, uh, this is, this is what I do. Uh, I, I'm a stay at home dad and I play guitar and sing at night and weekends. So, so yeah, if anybody needs a uh, holiday party in the upper Midwest, just let me know. I'll come play with you. Do you have a website? For you. Yeah. How do we get a hold of you? Uh, mickline.com. Uh, you can also find me mickline on Spell Facebook. M-I-C-K-K-L-E-I-N. M-O-U-S-E. Com. <laughs> and then, yeah, Facebook. You can find my music page uh, on Facebook uh, as, as well. So, and I will come sing music for you. Yes, excellent. Well, that's pretty pretty goddamn good for uh, a first uh, part series. Fuck, or first part of the music. three part series. What do you guys think? I think we're going to be slurring by the end of the third. Oh come on, we can slur before that. <laughs> well, that's kind of. <laughs> I have yet to begun to, to it, talk man. in cursive. That's kind of the that's kind of the whole point, guys. Not racial slurs, though, right? Just well, <laughs> no, 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 definitely not those. <laughs> like me at the fucking blackjack table. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a Predicate Productions episode of Brews, Booze, and Reviews. For more information, head over to brewsboozeandreviews.com. Special thanks to our sponsors for supporting our podcast. You too can support our show by supporting them. You can also click the link at the bottom of the, our episode description and donate to help with production costs and beer for our fridge to review for you. And, of course, thanks to you, our listeners and neighbors, without whom this podcast couldn't happen. And to you we say, May your glasses be full and your spirits high. Cheers! Cheers.